So my research into death was actually my experience of going and dying myself. I came back just so aware of, on one hand, how fragile life is, but on the other hand, just how strong and resistant we can be to death. You know, when it's not our time, it's not our time. Because I came so close and yet it wasn't my time and nothing was going to keep me where I was. You know, I was, I was destined to come back. Um, I, I just find life was so incredible and I didn't want to waste it and I didn't want to have regrets. You know, I was 12 years old, so it, life was all about me at that age. You know, you don't really think about other people and... I just was really on this mission to live life after this experience. I never wanted my experience to hold me back in any way. And then as I was really pursuing life, I started to see people all around me who weren't pursuing life, thinking, gee, they're all just so unhappy. They should be so happy that they're alive. And but I really came back with the sense that we can have anything we want. And so I came back with a bit of a mission as well, just feeling like any person can create anything but also we have the power to change things we have the power to change circumstances and we never know in our life what our life's going to bring us we never know whether we're going to have a car crash or have cancer or lose somebody or like me lose ourselves temporarily and come back we never know what's in store for us but we can't let anything hold us back we've got the power to create things around these major life-defining moments that's Kirsty salisbury and i'm brian falchuk the do a day podcast where you hear from the most inspiring people who have been through hard times, overcome them, and have turned around to help others with what they've learned. I'm your host, Brian Falchuk. I know because I've lived it myself. I've written about it in my book, Do A Day, and that's why I'm bringing you this show. Remember, today's a new day. Go out and do it. Hey, day doers. Welcome to another episode of the Do A Day podcast. I have an amazing guest for you today. This is Kirsty Salisbury who, uh, she's got quite a powerful story. It's one of a, I don't know if it counts as a near-death experience, because she did die. So I, I mean, I think that's how they're categorized. Um, she was a child. She had uh, a problem, a condition that led to uh, basically uh, hemorrhaging in her brain that actually did take her life. She had to be revived and she died in the middle of surgery. She was on the operating table and they had to stop the procedure because she was so unstable. Uh, and what she describes on the back of that really twofold though, one is how she awoke and what she describes is just having this download of understanding of the world of people. Uh, it, it's really beautiful to listen to how she describes it. But then separately, this whole recovery process, because the hemorrhage, surgeries, all of it did impact her life function. So her ability to move, control her body, et cetera, was impacted. And she had to go through a very long process of relearning a lot of the things that she already knew how to do. She was a gymnast as a child. Um, and so to have to relearn something as simple as how to tie your shoe. And as a, a young teen to have to ask for help tying your shoes and that, I mean, it's such a, a simple little thing, but it's something I think most people take for granted. And you don't think about how it feels to need to ask for help on some of these basic things and to feel different at a time when, you know, let's face it, teenage years are not times when people generally feel accepted and normal and okay. Um, so there's, you know, there's a, a huge 
lesson and uh, growth story that comes out of the recovery process. So that's why, you know, this one, uh, I love all my guests. This one really stood out to me because of those two very profound and, and honestly extremely different reads on the story. Uh, more on Kirsty. She is uh, she's from New Zealand, so she has a very cool accent, or she might say that I have an accent. But either way, she we sound different from each other. Um, but so she also is a speaker and coach. She's a wellness professional. She helps people in the area of resilience, habits, building long term happiness, really working on empowering yourselves with the strategies to live life at your best. She hosts two podcasts. One is called Let's Talk Life Design that I was a guest on, and also Let's Talk Near Death, basically something she knows quite a bit about. Um, she is incredible. You have to listen to this one. And it, the, the download of sort of like the knowledge of the world is the thing that just, I keep pausing on that idea personally. I think that's really beautiful. Um, and, and then what she did with that knowledge is very cool. So. Have a listen. Great episode. Thank you for joining again. And I'm excited to share Kirsty's story with all of you. Kirsty Salisbury, thank you so much for joining me all the way from New Zealand today. Thank you. It's great to be here. I shouldn't I I shouldn't say today because it's tomorrow for you. Um and the the last time I think we talked about this. I had someone on from Australia and I was trying to find out what happens tomorrow and it just doesn't work that way. But it is <laughs> yeah, kind of interesting. <laughs> I can't tell you what the winning lotto numbers are, that's yeah. for sure. Well, I was just yeah. telling my wife, my dad's actually there right now. Um, oh, and in so, New Zealand? Yeah, and so I was I was like, oh, I'll ask her how my dad's doing. He's on he's on a, a holiday. Um, oh. And she looked at me like, that's not funny. And I was like, yeah, uh, so I'll probably say it anyway. But Well, he's got nice weather. He's got a nice sunny day, put it that way. Yeah, it's been chillier yeah. than they anticipated, but it's been nice nonetheless. Yeah. Oh, good on him. Yeah. Um, Okay, so none of that. We're not here to talk about my father's holiday. I shouldn't even have gone into that. You, you're you're one of a few people who came to me through Jonathan Senior, who had me on his Funky Thinker show, and we were talking afterward about this show. And I was telling him what I'm looking for. He hit me with a few names, and they've all just blown me away, including you. So I'm so excited to get into your story and pull the the nuggets out for people because it's really oh, different. Yeah. It's, yeah, it is a bit different. Yeah. yeah, let's do this. Yeah. Um, can you just give us a high level? Like what I know you're you're a speaker and that that's a big part of what you do today, but what's give me give me the high level on who you are right now and we'll we'll back into how you even got there in the first place. Yeah, okay. Well I'm a, like you say, I'm a speaker. I'm also a podcaster. I've got three different podcasts. Um I like to talk quite a lot, so that works out really well with speaking and podcasting. I've also written two books. And all of this comes from my own personal life journey, which has been an amazing adventure. And I'm just really in a space where I want to live the most amazing life. I want to help people eliminate regret and live their best life. Because we talk a lot about living well, but I'm actually really interested in dying well as well. well that's an interesting phrase. <laughs> yeah, yeah dying don't. well. We're yeah. so focused on life, but what yeah. about death? You know, it sounds really dark. I'm quite, I'm quite interested in death, quite obsessed with it. But... I think death can be beautiful and I think we can have a lot of choice about not necessarily about how it happens or what that experience is like, but what we leave behind and just, you know, how that all goes. Yeah. Uh, and that word regret, like that is unfortunately the definition of a lot of parts of a lot of people's lives consciously or subconsciously. It's just, it's a strong force at play. 
Oh, definitely. And what happens is when we get closer to death, we get closer to our regrets. We start to think about them. And, you know, you, there's a lot of research being done and you hear all these stories about people on their deathbeds and what they regret and what they think about. And I think, why wait till our deathbeds to deal with this stuff? Why don't we deal with it now so we can live the most amazing life possible? And, gee, you really got me started. I could talk about yeah. this forever, actually. Good. I think when we have regrets, you know, it totally controls who we are. It controls our decisions, how we live our life. It's so controlling. And yet we hang on to it because it's comfortable. And so, yeah, I'm on a mission to change the way we look at regret. Why and is it turn comfortable, though? Because it's, because it's not a good address, thing. No, no, it's not a good thing. And we know it's not good. And, you know, we have regrets mostly about things we didn't do. Hmm. But yet it's comfortable because to face the regrets is really uncomfortable. Uh, okay, so the comfort comes in in the just sort of parking them and not dealing with them, but having them oh, loom. Okay. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's about going into denial. You know, any problem is easy when you just rub it under the mat and you just hide it away, put it in the cupboard so you can't see it. When you can bury it deep enough, mm. it doesn't affect your daily life. See, I, th I wasn't sure if you were thinking of it that way or more of the like somewhat masochistic view of, you know, when, when we're used to having it hard or we're used to misery, we end up seeking it out. You know, people who have, oh, have gone from yeah. one bad relationship to the next or you know, their parents are dysfunctional and they end up marrying someone just like their parents, like that sort of, you yeah. know, we stick with the comfort of the discomfort. Yeah, absolutely. And that can definitely happen or we can create patterns in our life of yes. clinging to the things which are really hard because that's what we know. And again, it's about facing the fear of breaking out of what we know. Mm. So, I mean, it goes both ways really, but I just think if we can uh, deal with our regrets and deal with the decisions that we make in our lives earlier in our lives, then they're not interfering with how good our life can be. Yeah. It's about opportunity. Yeah. Possibility. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And they're endless. There's so many things that we can do and change. And, you know, I, one of the things I talk about is life design and how I just believe so strongly we can design our future that our present moments create our future moments. So if we can choose our present moments and how we use them, we can choose anything for our future moments. Yeah, I mean, that's very true is for people who feel like it's inevitable or they can't break out of the cycle. Yeah. Life is a series of dominoes and ultimately you get to choose which ones get knocked over and which ones are lined up and what direction they go in, whether you see it that way or not. Oh, totally. And we can choose what color they are and how many little dots we have they have on them and how many of it, we can choose everything, but yeah. we just need to start off and become conscious of what we're doing, connecting it all up yeah. to create the future for ourselves. So, all right. A lot of people who have these kinds of perspectives, it comes from a lot of research. And when you said you're sort of uh, fascinated by and focused on death, well, it's like, well, you can't research that, but you kind of did. So can you, can you yeah. take us back? Like why, why is this your focus? What got you to that? Yeah, well, my research was quite an interesting one, actually. So I had an experience where I did die. I had a very sudden brain illness and this took me literally to my deathbed. And so I had something wrong with my brain and my blood vessels hadn't formed correctly before I was born. And it, we didn't know anything was amiss. We didn't know that anything was going on. I was really active. I was a competitive gymnast at the time. I was going to the nationals the weekend after this happened. And basically, I woke up in the middle of the night with a really excruciatingly bad headache. Um, what happened, to sh cut a long story short, I basically had a brain hemorrhage. So I had a brain, a brain bleed. And that meant that um, 
my brain got a bit damaged in that process. And so they rushed me into hospital. The next morning, basically, I didn't wake up. My parents couldn't wake me up. How old were you? I I just turned 12 years old. So this is quite a while ago now. Yeah. 12 years old, you know, but I was really active. I was the kid that gets up at six o'clock in the morning and makes heaps of noise bouncing around the house and everybody (laughs) just wants that kid to go back to sleep. Yeah. That was me. I'm totally paying for it now with my own daughter because that's a lot of what she's like. It's genetic. But yeah, yeah, exactly. And so my parents couldn't wake me up. So they phoned the doctor and the doctor couldn't wake me up. And that's when he realized that there was something really quite major going on. So they raced me into hospital, straight into the operating theater. Um, they did a few scans. They found out that my brain was literally bleeding and it had burst all these vessels. Wow. So then they, they realized that there was quite a big malformation there. So they needed to cut it out. In the surgery, they, they actually had to abort the surgery because they lost me twice on the table. Wow. And so while this was all happening, I mean, obviously I'm oblivious. I have no idea because I'm out to it. Like I was in a really deep coma. Yeah. But I actually, because I got to the point where I personally believe I died, it's in my records that they resuscitated me and that they aborted the surgery. I then went and had this really unusual experience that made very little sense. And, you know, I went and saw things. I did see the white light. I did see what I believe were angelic beings. I did hear music, all of this type of experience that you read about or you hear about. I had this for myself. And then I came back to this life where it was like it was meant to happen. It was all part of the bigger picture. And I felt so good with where I was at. You know, it wasn't all my life is doomed. My life is over. I came back. I have a little brain injury. Um, obviously, I had a shaved head and a surgical scar, and I also was paralyzed on the left side of my body because as a result, I had a very full-on stroke. Mm. So my research into death was actually my experience of going and dying myself. And I came back, and this is where my obsession with regret comes from as well, is just because I came back just so aware of, on one hand, how fragile life is, but on the other hand, just how strong and resistant we can be to death. You know, when it's not our time, it's not our time. Because I came so close and yet it wasn't my time and nothing was going to keep me where I was. You know, I was, I was destined to come back. So I came back just really, I don't know what the word is. I find it quite hard because I go to this place when I talk about it. It's quite emotional for me. Yeah. Um, I, I just find... Life was so incredible and I didn't want to waste it and I didn't want to have regrets. You know, I was 12 years old, so life was all about me at that age. You know, you don't really think about other people. And I just was really on this mission to live life after this experience. I never wanted my experience to hold me back in any way. And then as I was really pursuing life, I started to see people all around me who weren't pursuing life. Uh. And I'm not just talking about 12-year-olds. I'm talking about parents and friends, parents and people in my life thinking, gee, they're all just so unhappy. They should be so happy that they're alive. And, you know, we life, we can have anything out of it. I really came back with a sense that we can have anything we want. And so I came back with a bit of a mission as well, just feeling like any person can create anything, but also we have the power to change things. We have the power to change circumstances And some things will happen to us. Like me, I don't believe that my illness happened to me out of anything I did. I believe it was part of a bigger picture. It was meant to happen. It was always going to happen. And we never know in our life what our life's going to bring us. We never know whether we're going to have a car crash or have cancer or lose somebody or 
like me, lose ourselves temporarily and come back. We never know what's in store for us, but we can't let anything hold us back. We've got the power to create things around these major life-defining moments. So I've also, yeah. yeah. It's quite heavy, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite a lot yeah. going on. In- <laughs> well, and, and the thing I'm, I'm left stuck on is you're only 12 years old when you're having this revelation. I mean, that that's such those are such profound, like, ancient wisdom kind of thoughts and you're just a little oh, kid yeah so yeah, that just speaks to yeah i mean it speaks to how strong the feelings must really be it's like you gain all this wisdom through the process not just a sense of you know what matters and how you want to live your life but like you know decades of of wisdom yeah well it was it was really unusual because i talk about the only way i can explain it really is about a download it's like i'd got a download and i came back And, you know, I came back and I had this freaky knowledge of different things. Mm. It was like I could see different moments in time at the same time. There was like for a while when it freshly happened, thing like my whole being was really alert. I'm not talking about my body, sort of like my, I guess, my spiritual side of things. My internal stuff was really alert. I was on a really high space. Mm. And over time that has faded. Mm-hmm. And I think that I was given like this download where I had this strange knowledge and I just understood things. And the doctors and the nurses, they were coming in when I first woke up and, you know, I'm in the critical care unit and I'm wired up to all of these machines and everything's going on. And I'm like thinking, just take them out. So I'm saying, can you take this out? Because I don't need this. They go, no, no, you don't understand. We need to tell you what's happened. You've been really unwell. And I'm thinking, why are you telling me this? Everybody knows this. It's obvious what's happened. And I knew exactly what had happened to me. I knew everything that I'd been through. I could see my parents getting in the car because they'd just got the phone call that I was awake, getting in the car to come to the hospital. And then somebody came in and said to me, oh, you know, your parents are on their way. And I'm thinking, well, of course they're on the way. They just got in the car and at the traffic lights at the moment. And I could see them coming, but I was in a hospital bed with all of this amazing knowledge and all of these like unusual things. I kind of don't understand it because now that it's been time, I've put thinking behind it and I've tried to rationalize it. I've tried to understand it. Whereas at the time I was just this, you know, kind of half dead kid sitting in or lying in a hospital bed and I didn't really have any understanding and I was totally okay with it. Mm. So, you know, I got all this knowledge and this wisdom that you talked about that all came to me. It's not like I knew it beforehand. That was part of the gift of coming back. Was almost like, well, if you're going back, you're going to need these things. So pop these in your your bag and take them with you. So when I came back, I just had this instant built-in knowledge and understanding that this was all part of a bigger picture. Everything was exactly as it was supposed to be for my life and that we were good to go. So yeah, I get this knowledge, but it wasn't anything I did. It was something that happened. Yeah. That's amazing. And you, to, to come back to the physical state you came back to, the paralysis, you know, having had a stroke and, you know, aside from the look of, of having a shaved head, which probably affects a 12 year old more than, uh, I'm just putting myself there, like as a, as a balding adult, it's like, well, <laughs> it's not that far off, but you know, the scar yeah. and everything. So to, to be that sort of enlightened and at peace with it and, and connected to everything, when actually your body is in sort of the opposite place. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, and that that came and went. That wasn't always there. There were definitely some really dark emotional times. 
you know, there were times when I was just left to lie in my hospital bed and I would just cry my eyes out and I'd be going, why me? Why me? This yeah. is so not fair. But I also knew, why me? Why me? Rather than a negative why me, it was, well, what am I doing with this? What is my purpose in life? Why have I come back? And, you know, I, it's a flip of a coin. There were two sides to it, definitely. There were some really dark times and there were some really great times. My body physically, so I was a competitive gymnast, so I never sat still. Yeah. I was always spinning around, doing things, jumping on the trampoline. I was always active. So to go from that to be literally lying in a bed where I can do nothing for myself, you know, that was a real, a real change for me because I'd never experienced being still. And then even as time progressed and I started to get some movement back, there was still the ongoing issue because they had aborted my surgery so they hadn't got all of the problem out mm -hmm. because that was going to kill me and that they knew that, that I wouldn't survive it. So what happened was they were then saying, okay, well, you're kind of like a walking time bomb because you could blow at any point. So we can't get your heart rate up. You're going to have to lie still. You can't do anything exciting. You can't lift your legs above your chest. You can't pretty much do anything. And this is by the time I had a bit of movement back. So then there was another year and a bit where I was diagnosed as a walking time bomb. And, you know, I'd kind of moved on a little bit from the physical side, but I still couldn't even do anything. Yeah. So that's a whole nother level. But again, I'd been equipped with the tools somehow in this picture to be able to deal with it. So yeah, it was really interesting. I learned so much, so much, but there were highs, there were lows, there were a lot of tears. There was a lot of anger. Yeah. And I had to go through a real forgiveness journey as well because I was really angry at life. I was angry at doctors. I was angry at, you know, friends that I lost, things that I couldn't do. I was angry at situations because, yeah. you know, I missed a lot of school. Like we're talking a lot of school. And then when I finally did get back to school, all my friends went away and they went on to their school camp. And I went off to hospital because I had hospital appointments. Or they'd go on school trips and I couldn't go because – I couldn't walk the distance or it just wasn't safe in case anything happened to me. So, you know, there are a lot of things, but it's so easy for us in life to get caught up in the pity me and become the victim of something. Whereas actually I still had that strong thing of, but I'm alive and I've got something to do and this is cool. Christy, I'm so interested as you were looking around, you, you were describing earlier about, you know, all the people who were living with regret and, and just being unhappy. Did you yeah. see pattern? Like you said, you know, you're not just talking about 12 year olds. I was thinking it probably wasn't kids, but did you see, you know, certain types of people or people in different life situations or ages or that seemed to be less happy? Or was it really just sort of everyone like societally, this is an overall problem that we yeah. all face? Do you know, that's a really interesting question because I haven't thought about it on that level. It was Generally, it was just people in general. I just, everywhere I looked, people were pretty unhappy. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I laugh a lot and I had a lot of nicknames, Giggly Gertie. And, you know, it was always me that was laughing and people go, where do you get your happiness from? And I was thinking, well, we've all got it, but where do you lose it? It was mm -hmm. just around us. I saw people really miserable with their lives. And, you know, you hear things, you hear people say, well, this isn't how I, I meant it to be. Yeah. This isn't how I thought things would work out for That's me. Regret. I'm not quite sure where it went wrong, but this isn't the life I had planned. Yeah. And yeah, it is regret to an extent, but it's also, I just believe it's about where we disconnect from what we're doing. Things might get hard and then we start to numb that hardness with, you know, 
things which make us feel a little bit better. And we create patterns in our life of numbing situations. And by doing that, we're actually diverting ourselves from our best path. So I think what happens is people get stuck into routine and then there's responsibility as well. That's a huge aspect of it. When we get a mortgage, we get financial requirements and things that we need to meet. Often we get stuck in things we don't want to do because we have to fulfill these requirements because that creates security in our lives. So, you know, I'd, I'd look around and it probably wasn't the younger kids. It was more older people that I was looking at, family members, not specifically my family, but my friend's family and, you know, the neighborhood. And yeah. I would just look around and see people stuck in jobs they hated and people unhappy for what they were doing. Yeah, it was all around me and it, it really bothered me. Yeah, I mean, my, my presumption was that it was as you got older, it got worse because of the, you know, being a parent, you look at the freedom of a child's mind and how responsibility and the framing of reality hasn't stifled them yet. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think that comes with that responsibility that I was talking about. Yeah. And the more you have, the more you have. It just, yeah, exactly. Once you get on that bus, it doesn't stop. Yeah, exactly. But we've got to get on that bus to a degree Yeah. because, you know, we can't have nothing and live in our Western world's with nothing. You can't live in a treehouse in the local park with, you know, nothing. Yeah. You've actually got to jump on that bus to a degree to be able to connect with society and be a part of it. But it's when it starts to control our life and we start to need more and more because I believe we're numbing a pain or we're numbing something which is uncomfortable. Yeah. And of course, we, actually, uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, if we can find more ways to bring joy into our life. So if we can have more fun. Yeah. And that can look like anything to anyone. You know, our opinions of what fun is is all completely different. But if we can bring more satisfying things into our lives, it alleviates all those other things rather than bringing more numbing agents, you know, more, I don't know, the typical ones, alcohol and things like that, which numb feelings. But if, you know, different behaviors, if we can bring more joyful experiences into our lives, things which really make us happy. Mm. We don't need to use those other things. Yeah. 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 yeah that, that's really well said. And I think I'm, I'm reflecting on the word consumption in there. It's, you know, when we talk about having more people who use sort of retail therapy and just keep buying stuff and this new oh, gadget will make me feel, you know, you might get a, a dopamine hit for a little bit and then it's, you don't care anymore. That new yeah, car is yeah. not new at some point, the, the new whatever phone or computer whatever it is that you wanted or jacket or shirt or whatever it fades or we're consuming substances yeah it's all definitely yeah definitely and we put more and more of them into our lives and it can even be you know what we're watching on tv Mm -hmm. netflix and what we listen to in the car all these different things that can be consumption on so many levels material things that can be our food our drinks that can be our time focus all of these things it's not like they're bad but they're bad if they're numbing something and we're not using them in the right way. Yeah. So how do you, how do you both not overdo it with these things? Cause I agree with you. You can't, it, it's, it's too utopian to just think you can never have any form of responsibility or oh, yeah, you we know, can't. none of that. Yeah. Um, so yeah. how do you make, how do you make those choices responsibly? But then how do you also manage the kinds of influences you're bringing into your life so that you do get to have the joy still and you look at things the right way. 
Yeah, well, I think it is about finding things that make us happy. You know, a lot, especially older people, they talk about, you know, I used to sing as a child or I played a musical instrument or I used to go and dance, you know, all of these activities that we did as children. And suddenly I know barely anyone, any adults who do these activities. And if they make you happy as a child, the chances are they're going to make you happy as an adult. So it's even little things like that, just finding things which bring joy. But also I think um, it's around understanding that our current moments create our future moments. So if we want to have a certain type of future, it is a little bit of sitting down and drilling it back, going, well, what actions today can help to create that future? And focusing on them as well, understanding what we're doing, that, you know, it's for a greater cause, it's for a future cause, but we can't live in the future and we can't live in the past. And often with regret, we're living in the past. Mm. So I think it's about living in the present moment, about understanding what makes me happy right now. What are the things in my life that I enjoy and I want more of? And what are some of those things that make me feel like I want to go and consume something? Do you feel like, you know, when you're talking about people had those things when they were younger and then they don't have them today for a variety of reasons, you know, why don't they have them today? I feel like for a lot of people, they have no clue what those things would be today because it may not be the exact same thing. Oh, yeah. But. It's, I, I was thinking about my father, not not the part of him being in New Zealand, but we've been trying to get him to retire for a while. And yeah. his one of his pushbacks is always, I don't know what I'd do with myself. I can't just sit at home and do nothing. And it's like, well, who said anything about sitting at home and doing nothing? But I think the issue is he's been on that train for so long. He really doesn't even know who he is from a you know, a non like grinding it out work kind of perspective yeah. today. And and I, I feel like that's such a common issue. People don't actually know what they would want to do, what they oh, would enjoy. Yeah. It absolutely is because we've it's been ingrained into society for a while now that you've got to work harder, harder, harder. You've got to achieve more, you've got to do more. There's even the threat, you know, technology is coming in, it's going to take over jobs and things like that. So we've got to become unreplaceable and we've got to be so effective that people need us. And so what that's done is that made that's made us work extremely hard where we only focus on working or focus on fulfilling something, mm-hmm. doing, doing, doing. Whereas if we can just be, be, be and actually step back. And, you know, I hear this all the time. Well, I don't know what I want in life. I don't know who I am because we've covered who we are up with things and doing things and trying to be somebody or create something. Yeah. So I think that's where if we can just really step back and connect with ourselves. So it's getting rid of all of the noise, getting rid of all of the stuff that we've put around us. And that's, that's really difficult. I'm not making the sound like it's, you know, it's not easy to step back and actually just spend time on our own, just being. And so the whole rise of things like mindfulness and meditation, these are all really, you know, becoming quite mainstream these days. They're becoming quite major because people are craving it. People want to be able to let go. So I think if we can go back to just spending time doing absolutely nothing, then we start to connect with who we are. We start to connect with, well, what do I enjoy? What do I like about me? Mm. Rather than what do other people need from me? What do I need to do? What's in front of me? How can I do more? And, you know, it's a real journey. It takes time. But I think if we can actually just let go of things, take a few minutes out every day, and then start to build on that, you know, build it up over time to really just be able to let go of things and just be. I think it all sort of will start to come together. 
Do you think in the same way that people don't want to deal with regret, you know, the point you were saying earlier, uh, because, because of the comfort of not having to face those things, that maybe that's part of why people don't step off the, the sort of treadmill that they're on because then they have to actually spend time with their thoughts and they may not always like what they see or they're afraid or, or afraid of nothing, you know, which I think is kind yeah. of my father's point. Yeah, I definitely think they're interlinked. I think they're very, very similar with a different label on them because it's comfortable. We've done this for so long. And, you know, I'm guilty of this as well. I have definite times and phases in my, especially in my business life, where I'm just go, 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 go. Right. But it's about being aware of that's for a time and then we step back. So I think, you know, that we, we get so comfortable in these patterns that we create for our life. So absolutely, but we've got to start to break the patterns and just a little bit at a time. But again, I think it comes back to the foundational part of being consciously aware of what we're doing. If we can live consciously, then we start to see the patterns. We start to see what we're doing. Because if we don't take time to assess our life and look at who we are, then we don't see this stuff and we just carry on at full steam, probably gaining momentum, gaining more and more stuff that we need to do. But yeah, absolutely. It's going to be really uncomfortable. Meditation for a start is really uncomfortable in the beginning yeah. because our minds are everywhere. Our thoughts are all over the place and it's really hard to stop and actually just focus on nothing. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. But there's, you're absolutely right. They're becoming so mainstream because people are maybe of their own accord or because someone told them they really need to do it or give it a try. But the, there's all these apps and services that have blown up like Headspace, the number of people that I've yeah. met who I would never have assumed they would even know what that meant. You know, you see the, the white square with the orange circle on their phone. It's like, oh, you're using Headspace mm. too. And maybe yeah. they're not, you know, so they're not good. using it religiously, but they're trying. Yeah. And people are aware when things really come to a crunch and everything seems to be falling down that that's a good place to go to. Yeah. That's a good app to pick up for three to five minutes and just reset. You know, it's, it's becoming really, really helpful in our daily lives, but also very mainstream. Yeah. Yeah. The, the key is not to be a fair weather friend about it. So it's, it's easy when you're not in the throes of whatever difficulty, which is, that's fine to do it then, but the times you really need it or the times where you're most resistant to it or yeah. most dubious that it would even help. Yeah, exactly. And that's what makes it so hard. Yeah. That's, you know, because it is about breaking out. And obviously when we're going through a crisis or going through a really tough time, I do believe part of us needs to actually just go through it. Mm -hmm. But there comes a point when, okay, you've been going through that for long enough. We actually need to just, you know, stand up and move on from this. But that's where that familiarity is. And that's the hard part is to actually accept I can do something about this. This is time. This has been pulling me down for too long. And, you know, I've talked about this before and people say, well, how long is the time? And it really depends because it depends on what you're going through. It depends yeah. on your, you know, your personal resistance levels. It depends yes. on your, your whole education, your beliefs, who you are. But I do believe there comes a point when we honestly checking in with ourselves, checking in and going, is this enough? You know, what can I do? Can I move on from this? And it might be just the tiniest, tiniest thing. So I'm a big believer that the smallest things of change can create the biggest change. You know, the tiniest little thing. If you think of an airplane, a pilot flying the plane, if he goes one degree off course, you know, that's nothing for the first few kilometers. That's really nothing at all. 
and you think, well, no big deal. But if he was to do that over a 24-hour flight or, you know, even longer, that's a huge amount of change and a completely destina- completely different destination yeah. that the plane's going to land in. So if we can look at our life and think, what's that one degree of change? And as we go about it, you know, so many people get caught up thinking, well, you know, I'm not actually making any change. This is so insignificant that I can't even see the change. But as time goes on, the change stays and it becomes more and more significant in our lives. And that's how we start to change our future is the smallest actions make the biggest change. Yeah, I like that. And I do find it, it's, it's additive. So as you start to make those tweaks and changes and see the results, the resistance, you, know, you mentioned that, how, how resistant we are to these things, the resistance yeah. starts to break down and we may be more open either to bigger change or to additional changes elsewhere. Oh, definitely. And once that ball gets rolling, once we start to see the change and start to see the results, it does start to get easier and then we feel like we can take on more. So I'm not a fan of tackling a huge amount of change all at once. I think yeah. small changes, but maintain them, be consistently regular in them. And then we start to take on bigger things. And then the, the results start to come in more and more. And as the results come in, that's like the reward, which makes it easier to try more. And you can find that everything can change quite quickly once the ball gets rolling. But to get it started at the beginning is the biggest challenge. So, yeah, I mean, it's all about getting it going. Yeah. What are some of the ways of, if, if someone is, is stuck, what are some of the ways that they can get that ball rolling easier? Because, you know, I, I'm a coach, so that's, that's something I think about. But not everyone needs to turn to that. And, you know, these apps and meditation and all that, like, that's all great unless you don't do it. So yeah. what, are, what yeah. are some of the things people can do that are relatively easy to help them start to make the movement? Yeah. Okay. So again, that's going to come down to the the situation, the personal circumstance, because like, you know, for me, it was a physical thing. If it's something which you, I'm not describing this very well at all. It depends on where you're at. What are you struggling with? So what I like to do is suggest to people to actually step back and look at what they can control in their current circumstances. What is the one thing that they can either influence or affect or change? And start with those things. It's really easy to think that we have to do a certain thing, we have to do a certain amount of that thing. But actually, if we can just step back and work out what is the thing that I have the power on right now? Yeah. What is the thing I can control? And start with that. Start to get the ball rolling so that that can start to create the change. Because I believe that we've always got something that we can influence. You know, when our body doesn't work, which was like me, my brain still worked. And I could educate my brain. I could think about different things. I could process things. When our brain's not working so well and maybe we're coping with some emotional things, our body quite possibly still works really well. So let's focus on the body. Let's focus on the thing that can work. And sometimes it's going to be a combination of both don't work. But then, you know, we can get people around us who can potentially come in and help us. And it's always good to reach out for help, always good to reach out for a coach or Somebody, a family member, someone can get around you who can help to encourage you or be there for you or help you in some sort of way. So there's always something we can do, but it's about identifying what can we do? What can we actually influence right now in our lives to create a better future? Yeah. And what I I love about what you're saying right now is you're not talking about outsourcing that initial step. It's one thing to have support, to have guidance, to have all those sorts of things to, to 
you know, keep you going through it or to be there by your side and keep you accountable or, you know, big you up when you're a bit down on yourself or whatever it may be. But mm. the initial step is you. And Absolutely. Yeah. You've got to take that ownership. And, and I know that that scares some people, but maybe that's part of the journey. Yeah, quite possibly. We have to take on that ownership because only we can do it. Only we can start those tiny changes. And if they feel overwhelming, that's where we get the support and get the help. But start to drill down as well. Why does this feel overwhelming? Why do I keep saying I'll start this on Monday and then Monday comes and I haven't done it? Why can I not maintain that change, that one degree of change? Why not? What is really going on? How does this make me feel? And, you know, there's so many elements. I talk about how everything's very holistic. So looking at the different aspects of our life, how does this one thing change all the different aspects of our life and what's really going on? Why have we got, you know, why is this so hard for us? Kirsty, I'm curious if for you in hindsight, was it the, was it what happened on the operating table or was it the, you know, and I I know you, you came back with this very different perspective, feeling, knowledge approach but was mm. it was it just that, or was it also the struggle that went on for well over a year, right, as you started to get oh, back together? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It was definitely the struggle afterwards. So you know, I I had quite a lot of hospital treatment there, and then I ended up having to fly over to the UK to have this surgery, which was going to release me from this time bomb diagnosis, mm. and you know, let me be able to get my heart rate up and live a normal life so that went on for quite some time and then there was always the waiting game to see if it worked I think it was what I went through that gave me my strength Mm. so having you know I've had to fight for so much stuff in life and that's really taught me that when we want something bad enough if we fight for it and if we push boundaries we can get it and I believe that's possible for nearly everything I say nearly because there are going to be some things out there, which we can't do. But I think my experience is what gave me my courage and my strength and the resilience to keep getting back up and trying, keep trying, keep going, try a different angle. What's something else we can do? And I think also, you know, I came back with this knowledge, like you said, and it's not even a knowledge. It's just the thing that I had when I came back. But I then had to live. I had to go through this journey of my situation. Yeah. And that's where I learned most of this, I would say. And, you know, I'm still learning. It actually, I actually became, you know, I'm telling you the rosy version of this, but when it hit the road, I, I became very embarrassed about who I was. I was very ashamed about what had happened to me, even though, and it makes no sense, I'd been away, had this most amazing experience. I'd come back feeling like I had a purpose and a destiny and something really great to do. And yet I chose to go down the shame route and be embarrassed about my journey and be embarrassed about who I am and how I walked and, you know, the things I couldn't do. And I took it on as this is my fault. And there was a whole emotional journey that I went through as well. And it actually took me 27 years to be able to be public about what I had been through because I was so embarrassed. And so, you know, what I'm saying today, it sounds really happy and it sounds really easy, but I've only been able to talk publicly about my journey for the last It's not even two years. It's coming up two years soon. And that's when everything changed for me. So I was hanging on to the dark side. Even though I knew I didn't have to, it was just so hard to actually get the ball rolling. It was so hard to start 
being authentically me. So I think, you know, I make this sound easy, but actually there's a whole lot of work that needs to be done behind the scenes on this. And for me, there was the journey of coming back and feeling like I had some responsibility on this earth. There was the physical journey of learning how to walk and how to use my arm and how to do everything. There was the social journey of going back into school and going back into life that way, learning how to make friends. And, you know, there were some freaky times. You know, I I was in a school, I couldn't even tie up my shoelaces. We had to go to school assembly in the gymnasium and it had nice flooring down for the gymnasium. We had to take our shoes off every time we went in there. And that was fine. I could kick them off, but I couldn't even put my shoes on. So as a 14, 15-year-old girl, when I'd gone back to school, I was asking my friends as a 15-year-old, can you please tie up my shoelaces? You know, talk about humiliation. But there was always something in there that I was going to learn. I had to learn that it doesn't matter, that it's this or nothing. So this is better than being dead. This is better than not being able to do half of these things. And so, you know, there was the social journey, there was the physical journey, but there was the emotional journey as well. The emotional journey of coming to acceptance of who I was in this body that I wasn't used to because it didn't work the way it used to. It used to be fantastic. And, you know, even today, like I struggle with things. I get a lot of fatigue. I get a lot of numbness. I get a lot of emotional issues. You know, sometimes I look at my family and I think, how the heck have they stay with me because I'm so emotional and it's, it does feel a little bit out of my control. And it will be quite easy to go, well, that's just part of it that's out of my control and let it be. But if we can constantly keep working on ourselves and trying to be the best version that we can be, you know, the future is going to be a lot brighter than succumbing to what we're going through. So I'm not quite sure if I've answered your question because I've actually forgotten it now that I've rambled for so long. Well, so, so have but- I, but I'm, the 27-year <laughs> part, I, you know, I don't think anyone oh, was expecting good. that. It wasn't a like two to five year. But that I think there's there's so much in that is people are like, it's too hard. It's too long. I don't want to do all that work. Well, look, you did nearly three decades of it. And it's not that everything's peachy now. You uh, still no, face it's not. things. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say I did the work for nearly three decades because I didn't. I had it under the mat and I had it in the cupboard really, really tight so nobody could know. And I went to the other extreme of it. So I used to be paralyzed and I used to not be able to walk. And then I decided that I was going to walk and I was going to run and jump and that I was going to be faster and stronger than anybody else I knew. So it sounds like, wow, she was so determined, but it came out of an insecurity. Mm. So I actually, I learned how to do things really well. I went on to become a personal trainer. I was doing CrossFit in the gym, you know, and I was doing all of these things, breaking my body because my body, you know, now I think, oh my goodness, look at how much I've done to it. It's just I feel so bad for my body. I've got aches and pains everywhere because I've pushed so hard. Mm. But it was out of an insecurity of having to prove myself. Mm. So I didn't address it. I put it in the cupboard when nobody could see it. And so it happened when I was 12 years old. I don't know what your schooling system's like over there, but here in New Zealand, we tend to go up to high school from 13 years. Mm. So, you know, I wasn't even at school way then. So when I went back to school, It was at a new school with new friends, new people. Nobody knew my story. Well, a couple of people did because they'd known me earlier, but hardly anybody knew my background. Yeah. And then, you know, all these other things started to happen and that's where I couldn't do things and I had to go away. So there were another few years, but when I left high school at, I left a little bit early because I really didn't do well at school because I just didn't after all of that. My brain was a bit, I don't know, not amazing, put it that way. I dropped out of school and I was 
17, just turned 17. And so, no, I was still 16 when I dropped out of school. So then I started and I went on and did other things where nobody knew me. Mm-hmm. And I took all of these new places that I went to, new parts of life as fresh starts. And then in the workplace, when things got hard, I had to quit so many jobs because I was just so fatigued. I couldn't keep working. And, you know, now it's great because now I work for myself. And when I have a, a hard day, I can literally just go and lie down in bed because it's my business and I do it. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm the one working at 11 o'clock at night or yeah. getting up at five in the morning. So it goes both ways, but I have the flexibility. But back then, there was no flexibility. So I'd just quit the job. and. Um, I've done it again. I do have trouble remembering things. It's okay. I'm just talking a whole lot. It was. There, Sorry, there, we... No, but um, there, there's something really uh, that, that I feel like I have to ask you. Is you said it was about two years ago when your story came out. Why? Why all of a sudden after so many years, what changed? Okay. Yeah. Well, do you know, I always knew that I'd have to face it. And I think I was getting so frustrated with myself. I was living this amazing life and everybody thought I was really successful and I was doing really well. But on the inside, it was eating me up because I was going, I'm here for more than this. I can't just do this. And I always knew from the moment I woke up from my coma, I knew I'd write a book. I knew I'd share my story big time at some point, but I just didn't know what it looked like. And I'd got so ingrained in this fear and shame And I think this is what other people do in their life as well. And that's when we turn around and go, well, this isn't the life I thought I was going to have. This isn't what I imagined for myself. It's because we cover things up. So I had done exactly that. I'd covered everything up. And it was kind of eating away at me. It was when I was doing my personal training and I was realizing that actually I was struggling physically. I was so tired. My body was so fatigued. And you know, I would make sure that everything would work for the time that I'm in the gym. And then I'd come home and I just literally couldn't do anything. You know, my my left side was completely numb and I'd walk around the house and bang into things. And it, I just didn't feel very authentic about who I was. So I was living two different lives. I was trying to prove myself and be the best and strongest, most amazing. And then behind the scenes, I was just falling apart. Yeah. And I still had that drive in me of I need to share my story. This can help people. And I started to, and it just wouldn't come out. And I had a bit of a following on Facebook and doing different things because I was a wellness coach and doing this personal training. And I started to get to the point where I actually need to be authentic to them as well. So I thought, right, I'll just write a Facebook post, just letting people know what's happening. And I started to write. And it just kept coming. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. Okay. So this is more of an email than a Facebook post. So I started to write an email out to my audience and it just kept coming. And I thought, oh, okay. Well, perhaps this is a bit of an ebook or this is going to be a really long blog post or something like that. And it just kept coming. So I was writing and writing. And that's when I realized what was going on, that the book was coming out. Mm. And so I said to my husband, I said, look, I need to actually just go away. I'm just going to go do some writing. And he knew it was going to happen at some point too, because obviously I've been quite open with him and talked about my journey with him. Sure. So I, I went away. I took myself out of the house because I knew it was going to be really messy. I took myself out of the house and then I went with my laptop and I sat there and I literally, because I can only type with one hand, I just typed with one hand for about 14 hours straight. It was so sore and the tears just rolling down my cheeks and I just got all of it out. And I type, 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 type. And this book just 
really just flowed out of me. It just all came out. And it was the most relieving healing process, but it also opened up a whole lot of other stuff at the same time. And so I'm writing this book and then I go, okay, it's out. But then I couldn't actually release it. I still hadn't done the Facebook post. I still hadn't told anybody. I'd taken myself, I removed myself from everything, put myself in isolation while I got it out of my system. And then I'm still trying to do this post and come out. It felt like I was coming out. It was just so raw to me because I'd held it in for so long. And it's kind of funny because like you listen to it and you go, well, it's no big deal, right? But to me, it was the biggest deal in the world. So I end up having to hire a coach who I connected with. And I said to him, can you just get this out of me? That's what I'm hiring you for is just get this out. It's going to be ugly. I'm so terrified. And within about half an hour, we'd done that. And it was all over Facebook and it was all over everywhere. And, you know, I was absolutely terrified. But on one hand, I was super relieved. It's a really weird combination to be super excited, but super terrified. And, oh, my goodness, just destroyed my life. And, you know, it was an interesting process after that to pick up the pieces. And there were a few things that didn't go well. And that's okay. But I think I needed to go through this journey. and I needed to go through this process, but I needed to come out of it as well. So I think your question was what instigated this, what made me terms with it. It was just the need to actually relieve myself from constantly hiding, constantly feeling not enough, not good enough, not accepted. Because even if people accepted me, it wasn't the real me because they didn't know what goes on behind the scenes. Yeah. So I did that and I wanted to do it. And then when I, my coach then asked me to share my story and he gave me a couple of minutes and I stood up on a stage and shared my story. And it was after that, that people came up to me and they're like, oh my goodness, that was just incredible. And do you know, this thing happened to me and they wanted to share their story with me. Mm-hmm. And then one by one, all these people started connecting with me. You know, this is even after that day saying, well, this thing happened to me. And I still get these emails. I got one yesterday, actually. People want to connect with me and tell me their journey. And this really stayed with me. And I thought it took me so long to share my story. And now I've got people coming to me to share their story. And I thought I've got to create a platform where I can share other people's stories. So that's when the podcast came about. So I've got my podcast, which is Let's Talk Life Design. And that's all about overcoming sudden crisis or trauma and what people have learned about it. Very, very similar to what you're doing here. It's just got the sudden crisis element on it. And so I set up the podcast and, you know, I have people all the time coming to me and saying, well, I've got a story. I can go on your podcast. And it's created a platform where other people can release their stories as well. So I'm hoping by through my journey and what I've learned, it's actually going to create a doorway for other people to do the same sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's been, I mean, it's been such a journey, but I feel so free now. Once it was done, it was done. And I mean, this thing, it's gone quite big. It hasn't just been tell my friends and family, you know, I've got the book and now it's all over the place. And, you know, there have been a lot of interviews. There's been newspaper articles. There's different stuff going on with it. Yeah. And my my story is just the smallest part of this whole thing. This whole thing is any one of us can change our circumstances if we're authentic to ourselves, if we create the smallest of change and maintain it, and if we connect with who we truly are. And, you know, like I can hear what a hypocrite I am because I tell you the story and then I'm saying that, but yet it took me so long to get there. But, you know, my heart is really that it wouldn't take other people that long to get there. I want to go through that and show you what I've learned so you can skip straight to it because what a waste of 27 years. What a waste. 
Yeah, it doesn't make you a hypocrite. It makes you real, and and your purpose is spot on. That so you you had this longer journey to get there, and the pain and the the fear of the authenticity, and yeah. holding on to that regret. And I, I mean, we're very much aligned that just because I went through this drawn out process doesn't mean you have to. And here are the ways that you can short circuit it if you're willing to uh, you know to engage in it. I think that's beautiful, not hypocritical. Oh, especially. Oh, thank you. I think also um, we we I've lost my train of thought again. This happens. See, this is my brain. This happens to me all the time. We don't need to wait for the crisis moment. Mm. You know, like I have this beautiful story, this beautiful experience that I've had, and I feel so lucky. I feel like this is the greatest thing that could ever have happened to me was to go through, you know, my journey. And like I say, it wasn't all sunshine and butterflies at the time it was really dark really awful but it is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me and I look at it as an absolute gift but so often you hear of people and they have a moment this crisis point and then they turn their life around but why can't we turn our life around before the crisis moment yeah and I, I can't help but wonder if we do that before the crisis moment that maybe the crisis moment doesn't need to come yeah I, I agree with you. And let's be honest, some people who have the crisis moment don't change. Exactly. Yeah. It's still either or, way, you still have to do the work. So wouldn't yeah, it be totally. nice to do it without the crisis? Yeah, totally. Let's not go through the hard stuff. Let's yeah. just cut straight to how can we design our best future? How can we eliminate the regret, live our best life and die well? Because we're all going to die. But what are we leaving behind when we're on that moment? If we're conscious or we're aware of what's going on, are we happy with how we've spent our moments up until that time? Are we happy with who we've spent the time with, what our focus has been on, you know, what we're leaving behind? There's a lot of talk about legacy at the moment. It sort of seems to be one of those words. But it's really relevant because what do we want to leave behind for our children or our grandchildren or the people around us? What do we want to be remembered for? Not for the sake of being remembered, but what do we want to have done with our life when we're gone? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you just said something about the people we spent the time with, and I was like, well, I'm glad I got to spend the time with you, and I hope that the listeners are feeling that too. I feel like that's a powerful message to close things up on. Where where can people learn more about what you're doing and get to your book and your podcasts and, and your message in general? So the best place to go to find me is just at my website, which is kirstysalsbury.com. And that's got the podcast on there. I'm also on iTunes and iHeartRadio and different places like that. But if you go to my website, that's where you'll find pretty much everything that I've got. Okay. And of course, we'll link out to that. Yeah, that would be great. Thank you. Yeah. I, I can't thank you enough for joining me and the honesty that you brought to this. Um, you know, I knew a bit of your story. We talked before doing the recording a, a few weeks ago, and I still feel like, oh, wow, <laughs> you know, I had no idea about that or the power of what comes out of what you mm. shared. So I'm really thankful for having you on today. Oh, thank you. Thank you for letting me to share, because the more I can share, I hope the more it can help others to yeah. live their best life. Yeah, yeah thank you, Brian. All right. Are you ready to help me on this? Sure. All right. Today is a new day. Go out and do it. Excellent. Thanks so much, Kirsty. Well, hey, thank you. What a great person and an amazing story. Uh, I, you know, I said it in the intro, but I keep coming back to that idea of this download 
the gift that she was given as she came back into the world. Amazing. Um, there's, there's some stuff you really need to take forward and bring into your own situation and think about that notion, uh, about, you know, do you need to live with all the regrets that we live with? You know, Kirsty was forced to see that or maybe enlightened to see that when she came back, she had that knowledge, that understanding. And upon looking around, she saw it in everybody. How many people were living with regrets and the impact it has in their lives. And then you take that into her recovery process. And the, the price she paid for that knowledge, in a sense, the way that her life was impacted for quite a while. And, and I know it's something she still deals with today. Uh, you know, whether it's about the physical side or the, uh, the memory and the train of thought side, you, know, you, you got to catch that. It's a real thing for her every day. But what you don't hear her saying ever is, I wish this didn't happen. And that's, that's where the learning ultimately lies. Uh, she instead is saying, well, this did happen. And here's what I can do because it happened. Rather than here's what I can't do because it happened. And that's why I wish it didn't happen. Perspective, choice, these are the things that we're given as a gift. You know, maybe we're not given the gift that Kirsty described, but we're given these things as a gift, and it's our choice, our right to exercise them for our own benefit. It's not about anybody else. All right, heavy stuff, deep stuff, beautiful stuff, really. Um, I hope that you're all taking this back, thinking about those smallest of changes that Kirsty talked about to create the biggest overall changes in our lives. You know, it's that one degree change that the pilot makes in the course of the plane that, that we talked about. You know, that may not matter in that very moment, but it can mean the difference between going to North or South America. You know, I, I don't know. I don't fly. Maybe it's not enough to quite make that difference. Maybe it's Florida versus uh, Brazil. I don't know. Um, it has a real impact, and it's not as minuscule as it may seem in that given moment. And that, you know, she wasn't trying to do it, but that does bring back the whole idea of do a day. It's not about changing everything all at once. It's about doing your best today, doing better today, despite the past, despite what the future may or may not be. And you find that when you make those changes on a daily basis, they add up to a profoundly different situation. If that is a message that resonates with you and you haven't read do a day, you need to pick it up. Doadaybook.com. Obviously, listen to the rest of the episodes if you haven't listened to them. The best way to do that is to subscribe. And if you are subscribing and you like what you hear, I would be honored if you would head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a review. It means the world to me and it helps others discover the show as well. Thank you so much for joining me again. I hope that this was as good of a lesson and interview discussion for you as it was for me. To be able to conduct it with Kirsty, I certainly got a ton out of it. I've been reflecting on this one for a while. I can't wait to share next week with you. Hope everybody is doing well and continues to do well. The only way to do that is to go out and do it. Thanks, everyone.